Well, good morning. My name is Robbie Baxter. I'm the Director of Simulation here at Christ Community Church. What a privilege it is to worship with you this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 67 this morning, so if you would be turning to your Bibles to Psalm 67. And uh, by way of introduction, we're going to notice that Psalm 67 is really a, it's a prayer. And it's a prayer that extols God's grace and, and blessing to his people as, as the very means that he is using to spread his name to all the ends of the earth, to every tribe and tongue and, and language and people. And it's the, the very means that he's using to spread his kingdom to all the nations of the world, all, all the very nations of the world. And what a magnificent truth and, and promise and mission that that is, that that is. And to get a sense of the, of the reality of it, let's remind ourselves really briefly of kind of what we've seen about the mission of God in the Psalms so far in this sermon series. We saw, you'll remember from uh, Psalm 2, that God is, that Jesus is the king. He's the king who's been given the ends of the earth as his heritage and all the peoples as his possession. And he's drawing all these people together to, to him, to worship him in purity and in truth and in peace. And then we saw in Psalm 72 that God's kingdom is a kingdom that's characterized by justice and, and equity and righteousness, that he is a king who cares unlike so many of the kingdoms of this world, who cares about the broken and the needy and the downtrodden, that he is a king whose kingdom is is characterized by justice and, and equity and righteousness. And then we saw that from Psalm 52 that this truth would be uh, of no consequence to us unless God was also a king who drew us into his fellowship with him uh, despite our sin, that despite the, the, most, the things that we are most ashamed of, the things that put a rift between us and God, God came down and in his son paid the penalty for those things and drew us into relationship with him so that we can enjoy his kingdom. We can look forward to his judgment, not as things that, that, uh, that, bear low, that bring us low down and, and cause us to fear and tremble, but as things that we can rejoice in and, and be happy about. And now in Psalm 67, what we're going to see is that this truth is a truth for the whole world. That one of the things that characterizes God's people is not just the wonderful blessings they get by being united to him by faith in Christ, but that also they get, they get folded in into the mission of God to extend this righteousness to the ends of the earth. So that our blessings in Christ are almost as, as many as the whole, uh, the whole family of God is, as, as many as the whole family of God can be expanded into, so as many blessings do we have to, to participate in that and to rejoice in the good work that he's doing in our hearts and in the hearts of our neighbors. So we've seen that the, the mission of God is a story of redemption, uh, and it's the story of, of restoration, really, of dignity, uh, the restoration of our purpose under God, and the establishing of the reign of Jesus over all the ends of the earth, and it is a story for all the nations, for all people everywhere. And the way that God is telling this story, the way he's telling this story is by blessing his people so that through those blessings, we then get to participate in demonstrating, excuse me, demonstrating to the whole world the the glory of his name, that he is the father who can be trusted and loved and, and enjoyed forever. And so, that, and 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 as we as we participate in these blessings, as we get a hold of these things, we get to participate in the work that God is doing to spread the name of Jesus to all the ends of the earth, and and testify to the world that there's redemption and there's good uh, there's good blessing for them in Jesus too. So the key truth for us from Psalm 67 is that God blesses His people, so that we may spread His praise to all peoples, to all peoples in the worship of Him. So let's see it from the text, Psalm 67, verse one. This is what God says. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. 
that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. We'll pause there for a minute. Well, we see straight away that the psalm begins with a prayer for God's blessing. And the prayer for God's blessing, this, uh, this benediction, as we would call it, is, is really a shortened version of the benediction that we find in number six. And that's when God gave to Aaron and his sons, the priests of Israel, uh, the, the stamp, the way that they would character or bear his name before the world, uh, the, the very words that God would speak over, to, over his people. And, and God speaks over his people, and this is what he says. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And this is the way that God's people were reminded of who they were and whose they were. It's also how God's people have his name stamped upon them, how they would image forth what it means to be a child of God in a world that didn't know him, that pursued all sorts of false gods and false idols, who were more often things that had to be placated, distant gods, distant deities that at best had sort of a indifferent attitude towards the world. You might placate them by a sacrifice one day, but the next day they could be just as mad at you as they were before. You never really knew. And yet in Israel, the way that they would show that God was a different kind of God, that God was a God for the nations, that he, that he was drawing them in despite their sin because of his infinite mercy and grace, was by saying over themselves and therefore as a witness to the whole world, God be gracious to us and bless us and lift up the countenance of his face upon us. And yet, even before, even before God gave this particular blessing to the people of Israel, he gave a blessing to Abraham, that all the nations of the world would be blessed in him, that he was going to do a work through the family of Abraham that would, expand, that would extend to all the peoples of the world. You remember this from Genesis 12. God calls Abraham out of Ur, Abraham and his family, and, and tells them he's going to number, he's going to give them, he's going to give them a family as, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And they will be privileged and blessed as the particular people of God, but not just as the particular people of God as an end in itself, as good as, as that privilege is, but as an end to bring in uh, the people of God, to, to expand the family of God, to bless all of the nations. And so we might think of it this way. Here's the movement of the story. God calls Abraham out of Ur and says, Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you to bless all the people of the world. And then many years later, when Abraham's people, Abraham's family is much bigger and they're making their way out of Egypt, God calls Aaron and his priests or, and his sons, the priests of Israel, together and says, this is how I want you to speak over my people. God be gracious to you and lift up his face upon you and, and bless you. And then in Psalm 67, it's almost as if we could say that the Abrahamic blessing and then along with that, the the Aaronic blessing, is exploded with all of, all of its potential for the ends of the world so that we would get drawn into it, Gentiles though we are. It's exploded with all of its potentiality. So as if to say, yes, Lord, make the Abrahamic covenant promise and the promise that you spoke over your people that you would be with them, that you would bless them. Make it true. Make it true for us and make it true for all the ends of the world. It's the Aaronic blessing exploded with worldwide possibilities. And this psalm shows us, therefore, what a great privilege it is to be the people of God. And it's not just in his many blessings to us, but also that through these blessings, as I say, we get folded into his purposes to extend the work of his kingdom, to extend the family of God to every tribe and tongue and language. The astounding fact is that one of the impacts that God's grace has upon us 
is that God's way is known among the nations, among every people. And what is God's way? Well, the psalmist answers for us in verse 2. God's way is a saving power. Knowing God's way means knowing him through Jesus as your Savior and Redeemer. God's way leads us to acknowledge our, our guilt and our dependence on his infinite mercy offered through the great King Jesus. And it's always been this way for God's people. One of the great things about Psalm 67 is that it clues us into, just as we heard from the call to worship this morning, the fact that there's not two Gospels in the Bible. There's not two ways of getting saved, in the old, one in the Old Testament for some sort of angry and morose God, and one in the New Testament where God's a little bit nicer. No. And there's not two ways of expanding the kingdom of God. One in the Old Testament where it was just the people of Israel, and they just sort of, they were an in-house kind of a thing, you know. They were concerned about their own nationality, their own, uh, what was going on in their own country, and didn't have anything to do with the whole rest of the world. And now in the New Testament, that now expanded. And so now we have this missionary impulse that was lacking in the Old Testament. No. Psalm 67 shows us that the purpose of God, the mission of God, the redemptive purposes of God, the kingdom of God have always been the same from the very beginning. That God's purpose was always to draw a people from every tribe and tongue and language to his family. And that the way he was doing it was always through our dependence on the infinite mercy offered through the gospel. That there was never a time when God's people had to look to their own resources or do certain things, maybe offer a few sacrifices to, to placate a, a distant deity like the other nations did. No, they were always dependent on, upon his infinite mercy, and they responded in, in the way of obedience. They responded in the, in the Old Testament, in the, in the types and shadows, the sacrifices that, that prefigured Jesus. And now we respond, too, in our, our, our humble reliance in faith on the sacrifice of Jesus for us, and then walking in the way of obedience out of joy, not out of, not out of compulsion, but out of joy that now in these things we get to experience what it means to be a child of God. It has always been this way. And two, just be, in the same way that Israel was to manifest this way to the nations and the way that they relied upon the infinite mercy of God, that they were his people, not because of anything that they'd done, not because they were great, not because that they had, uh, of their own resources, managed to make their way out of Egypt to make a really good nation. Uh, no, we know the story is very different from that. In, in the way that they depended on God, they were to image forth what it means to be a child of God to the nations. And so in the same way, we get to participate in that same work. Now, as New Testament saints, we see things much more clearly than the Old Testament saints did. And we are the recipients of, of well, the Spirit of God, which enables us to obey more powerfully and, and from the heart the commandments that God has given to us. So we are blessed with many, many good blessings, infinitely good blessings. But the, the mission of God has never, been, uh, has never been otherwise. It's always been the same. And, and what a good truth that we can, we can know that we are not dealing with a father who has changed his mind from age to age but he's always been consistent and faithful and constant. And, and as we participate in, uh, in extending the, the reign of Jesus into the, in, into the world as, as his humble people, as we get invited into uh, this, this work, we are getting really, uh, how to say it, we are getting plugged into the, the very work of God that's been going on from Genesis to, and will continue until Jesus comes back. So the real effect, the real effect of depending on God's mercy offered in the gospel is that we will actually be a blessing to the world. And there really is no other way to be a blessing to the world than to depend on God's infinite mercy offered in the gospel. I say this particularly to those of us, probably those of us who are younger, who, who dream of making a difference in the world. Uh, oftentimes we, we hear it from the media or from, uh, from other sources, you know, make your mark, do something great, uh, make a difference. 
And what this psalm teaches us that is that if we really desire to do that, if we really desire to be a people who, who make a difference in the world, who are, are truly a blessing to, to the world that is lost in so much error and sin and brokenness, then the first way to do it, the first step that we make is to depend on, upon the gospel, to depend on God's infinite mercy, to be free to acknowledge to ourselves and to others that we are broken and needy and not to to be undone by the hard work that it takes to, in our pride, pretend that we're self-sufficient. And, and so the real way in which we, we can become, we can begin, excuse me, we can begin to be a blessing to the world is to depend upon the gospel, to recognize that we have no other way to go but to, but to the throne of grace and to depend on God's infinite mercy offered through Jesus. And the real effect of doing that will be that, in fact, we are a blessing to the world. And I say that to those of us, perhaps, who have a little bit more life experience, who sometimes wonder if we can make a difference in the world. Maybe we think that our sin has closed the door on that possibility. Maybe we think that just the busyness of life gets in the way of really making a gospel impact to our neighbors and to the world and to others. But the real effect, Psalm 67 teaches us, the real effect of depending upon God's infinite mercy in, in the gospel is that we will make a difference to the world. That the world will notice that there's something about us that's different from them. And they won't do that if, again, we are pride, prideful and we go around thinking that our own resources make us the kind of people that we are. That we have the sorts of things that we have, uh, whether it's our, our, our peace despite our sinfulness or uh, the real comforting presence of the Lord as we go through tragedies or even things as material as our jobs or our cars or our homes. If we go around pretending that we got these because of our own wits and resources, that we're just, you know, we're just great people. It, it, that, that, that's the message of the world, right? Get what you want, be comforted, become the kind of person that you want to be, and make a difference because of who you inherently are, or at least the potential that you have within you. If only you'd get removed all the sort of things that get you down. Um, but, but for gospel people, the people who, uh, who are Christians, who recognize that in ourselves, we have no hope of drawing near to God and uh, no hope of making sure that even the, the fruit on the tree is, is there for us in the, in the springtime. Uh, recognize that in all of our dependence on, upon God, as, as we lean on these things and as we speak forth them to our neighbors and, and are, are honest with, with ourselves and with others, that the gospel of the kingdom grows because people recognize that's different from the way that I've been trying to live my life. So there's a real effect in depending upon the infinite mercy of God offered in the gospel, that it makes a difference, that we speak in our actions and in our words before a watching world. And so I ask this question. This is a worthy question to ponder this Lord's Day. What are some ways in which the Lord has recently made his face to shine upon you? And for some of us, that's maybe an easy question to answer this week. And for others of us, that's a difficult one to answer this week. We recognize that sometimes it's hard to, to know that God's face is shining upon us. That sometimes life just, you know, you get these, these sorts of hilltop experiences where you can almost see the, the whole valley stretched before you and it's just sweet and wonderful. And then you go back into the, the valley and it's hard to see uh, what the Lord might be doing in our lives. And so I don't say that as a sort of cheap and trivial way to say, oh, everything's always nice and fine. No, but I do think it's worth our attention to think about the ways in which the Lord, especially in the past six months, say, or so, has, has made his face to shine upon us. How has God been gracious to us? How has God's presence been uh, tangible to us, uh, known to us? And, and have we been diligently cultivating the sorts of things that will help us to recognize that? Um, in our prayer times and in our reading of the Bible and our fellowship with one another? Have we been eager to kind of share with one another, even if it might seem sort of inarticulate at the moment or we might have a hard time expressing it perfectly, 
But that sense that the Lord was near to us this week, that he helped us to walk through a difficult situation in our family or in our home or at work. Jonathan Edwards says this, and I always appreciated the way that he sometimes can just get right to the heart of the matter. He says that Christ gives himself to his people to be all things to them that they need and all things that make for their happiness. And I know that sometimes it's hard to believe that. It's sometimes hard for me to believe that too. I sometimes get the feeling that, man, that's got to be more tangible. Maybe I need to be doing more to, to make that real for my life. And yet the, the fact of the matter is, is that God's mercy and grace and his presence to us and the feelings of the blessings that we have as his people come to us in no other way than that he lifts up his face upon us. We don't go to him and knock on his door, so to speak, and say, Lord, you need to do A, B, and C for me. No, God's always the one who condescends, who takes the initiative to draw us near to him. So we, need, we would do well, to, especially this Lord's Day, to consider how he's done that for us recently. How has God been the very means of our happiness lately? And how then can we, uh, in the recognition of that, be um, just more ready and more able to share that with others? So that they see that there's something different about us than, that what, than what they've been pursuing. Well, let's continue on in verse 4. We're going to see that God's justice and guidance among the nations are another cause for our ability to uh, expand his kingdom, to speak wonderfully of, of the good news that his kingdom brings. So verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Now, if we're honest... We feel a tension whenever we hear about God's justice and equity, don't we? You know, we long on the one hand for, for good to be done, for justice to characterize our world. We see so much evil uh, going on, and sometimes it just seems so gratuitous and, and so unnecessary. And, and we long for our world to be filled with the good things of the Lord, to be filled with justice and equity and righteousness. And yet, and yet as much as we long for this, we know that we ourselves fall short of its standard. And, and this fact would really undo us if we were not covered with Jesus' righteousness. Only because of Jesus' righteousness can we stand before God's justice that shows no partiality. God's not a tribal deity. He doesn't overlook the sins of his people because they're on his side and he's got them covered, but he's going to be really mean and, and, and just have an unflinching standard for the rest of the world. No, God shows no partiality. And yet his people, we, are covered by Jesus' righteousness so that we can stand and even look forward to the justice that Jesus is bringing. Now, that's an amazing thing. Oftentimes, I think, especially when we read the Psalms, we can be a little bit perplexed by the way in which they sort of seem to invite God's justice and judgment to come in the world. And I think, you know, as, especially as Western people, as American people, we think of a courtroom scene and we immediately imagine ourselves on the dock. You know, we're, we're being prosecuted and we know uh, that's not a fun experience. Like, what are the psalmists doing? They seem to really anticipate and, and almost rejoice in God's judgment coming. Well, there's a reason for that. One of the reasons would be that the vast uh, majority of people in, in the world, their experience of justice is that they're on the other side of that, that they can't get justice. The, the wheels of justice have to be bribed with money that they don't have. And if they don't have it, they're just out of luck. And, and so, you know, justice for them, it seems very different and, and very far off. And so for the psalmist, one of the, one of the wonderful things about God's kingdom is that he's coming and he's going to be a judge that doesn't need to be bribed. Justice is his standard. Righteousness is his aim. 
He judges the people with equities. And again, he, he's not going to be a tribal deity who uh, overlooks his friends, the wrong that they have done, and is unflinching towards those who aren't his, aren't his people. No, he's going to judge with complete equity. And so they can look forward to his justice because they know that so many people in the world have a case that is unanswerable, if only it could be heard. And at last it will be. And so we know that as we look upon um, so much that goes on in our world today, and so much that even maybe happens to us in the workplace or in our relationships or in the world and so much that perhaps we may face in the future. We know that there is a God who's bringing justice and equity and righteousness. And maybe oftentimes um, what we feel is the just thing to do, the, the just outcome of a particular situation that we're in, doesn't get resolved uh, in a way that's good. But we know that we have a Father who's bringing all things, making all things new and bringing his justice to bear in all situations. And so we can rejoice, as the psalmists do, that we have a king who's bringing justice to the world. And the amazing thing, then, is that this fact ought to inspire in us gladness and, and singing for joy. And why? Because God is not only going to make all things right, but he leads and guides the nations of the earth so that all people know how to walk in a way that pleases him. So we long to see justice done in this world, but we wonder how we will stand. And God leads and guides us so that we know how to, the way in which to stand, to depend on his salvation offered in the gospel. And this way is not limited to a secret few. It's not limited to a particular people group. You don't have to be on the inside track or have a special IQ to get it. No, it's not limited to the powerful or the intelligent or the put together. In fact, oftentimes, it's the very people who recognize their brokenness and come to the Lord with at, with, at the end of themselves, as it were, and recognize that unless he comes to them, they have no hope whatsoever. And the way to be safe from God's just judgment against sin is to be covered in the righteousness of Jesus. And it is offered in the gospel. The gospel is a message for everyone who wants the world to be put right and recognize that it must begin with ourselves. Psalm 5, it's an interesting psalm. It, one of the prayers that it offers up is, it says, there are many who say in the world, who will show us some good? Like they're walking around and, and they're looking about the world and they're looking for uh, someone to show us some good. And the psalmist answers, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have given me more joy than they have when their grain and wine abound. That's a radical statement. As we look upon, upon the world and we look at so many people looking at God's people saying, who will show us some good? They might look at the church and see so many broken relationships, people who maybe weren't treated by us as they should have been treated. Perhaps we fail in uh, loving one another as we ought to love one another, and they can be very cynical. And we can be cynical too sometimes. Who will show us some good? And yet the answer is always, Lord, lift up the face of your countenance upon us. And you have given me more joy than they have when their grain and wine abound. That's a radical statement too. Think about all the ways in which we pursue creature comforts and uh, and even just the, the, the safety and security and the identity that comes in having certain things, like a good job the, uh, or stability or a nice house or all the sorts of things that we use to, to build our identity up in. And yet here's the psalmist saying, you've given me more joy than they have when they have all of those things. And I know that oftentimes that's, that's sometimes hard to feel. We, as I say, sometimes we go in these sorts of up and down roller coaster, uh, just weird sort of emotional times in which you feel it one day and it's sweet and wonderful. And then the next day you're thrown into some difficulty or the gospel's good promises just don't seem particularly near to you. And yet the truth is that's always the case for God's people. Not that we will always be in this roller coaster of up and down emotions, but the, the truth is we'll always be covered in Jesus's love. That the constant experience of our um, 
of our lives is that God is a Father who cares for us, that he draws us near in relationship to him so that we can be his people and trust in his good promises and have our identity firmly fixed in Jesus so that our joy is always found in something other than our wits and resources and our ability to make things right, to get the, the, the facts of our experience just to line up perfectly with our dreams or our ideal self. No, our joy is always found in the Lord, and he is the constant and faithful one. I recently was thinking about this the other day, just as, you know, sometimes you wake up in the morning and the, the flood of the day's events, or maybe even yesterday's events, come back upon you, um, and it just seems to be weighty, and you wonder how you'll walk through it in a way that gives God the glory. And I was just reminded that the, the, the salient fact for me is Jesus is on the throne right now, and no one can take him off the throne. It's true what Psalm 2 says. He's been given the nations as, the, as his heritage, the ends of the earth as his very possession. And, and we've remarked upon this often, Psalm two, or, uh, Hebrews 2 says, Jesus is on the throne, and then realistically, I know it doesn't always seem like it, but it's true, he is on the throne. And, and so I remembered that moment that that's always true for me, so I can always run to the resources that I can find in him to walk through in this difficult situation that I may be facing that particular day, or to find mercy and grace because of some failing that I had the, the day before. And I can always find my joy and comfort and peace in reflecting upon the fact that in every situation, I can always go back and worship the throne, uh, worship Jesus before the throne. And what a good thing that is. And so as we reflect upon the way in which God has guided our lives as his people, how has this affected what we think about his commandments and the way we talk about them? In what ways have you seen the goodness and justice of God's guidance in your own life? As you think about the twists and turns that it has taken, um, the, the valleys that you've walked into, and also the high hilltop experiences that you've also had, the failings that you've gone through, uh, the ways in which you haven't walked with the Lord in, in, in obedience to his commandments, and, and the ways in which, by God's grace, you have been able to be faithful. How has this shaped the way you think about his commandments, and especially how has it shaped the way you talk about them to others? You know, I, I've discovered in my own self, sometimes it, it, it's a terrible thing, but sometimes I can be talking to others and almost make it seem like following Jesus is a drag. And what a, what a terrible thing that is to do. But I do it sometimes. I act as though praying is just like, oh, you know, just a sort of Christian duty that I got to do. Um, or even sometimes we can treat going to worship on Sunday mornings like that too. But, but as we think about the way in which God has uniquely guided us and helped us to walk in the way of his salvation, to know that he is near to us, and uh, to, to fold us into the, the mission that he is he's working in the world to expand his kingdom, how has it really shaped the way we've thought about his commandments? Have we seen them as Psalm 119 encourages us to, as our delight, as sweeter than honey? Well, the more we think about the way in which he's guided us, the more we, we will be helped to recognize that he is good for us in these things. Let's turn again to the text as we uh, look at verses 5 through 7 and see that God's blessing among the nations is increased as we recognize that he is blessing us even in the material things of life. The psalmist says this, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all of the ends of the earth fear him. So what moves us to praise God? And what should move the nations of the world to praise God? Well, here God teaches us to recognize that we have all things by his blessing. The psalmist expects that as we recognize this fact, the more and more we recognize this fact, we will be moved to praise the one who gives us all things. The world is not self-sustaining. God sustains it. Without God's care, it is not a foregone conclusion that the seed the farmer plants today 
will later yield a harvest without God's blessing of us. It is not a foregone conclusion that we ourselves will be sustained in our jobs, in our families, in relationships, or in anything that we need or enjoy. God, our God, shall bless us. And the conclusion of this fact is this. Let the peoples praise you, O Lord. This is, in fact, a daring thing to pray because it strikes right at the root of our prideful self-sufficiency. It's a hard thing to admit that we are weak and needy. It's a hard thing to admit that even our success in our experience or in our work, the success we experience in schoolwork, say, or in our jobs, or even in our relationships, is a blessing from God. But that's the truth. And it is a truth that the more people recognize it, the more God will get the praise and glory that is due to his name. So, one of the implications of this psalm is that we will help the family of God to get bigger the more we express and praise God for the good things that we have and enjoy. I wonder if we recognize, really, the enormous potential we have to uh, be witnesses to God's good grace in the gospel, just in the way that we talk, maybe even to the cashier at Publix, or especially to our co-workers at work, or even among our children and our families, about the way in which he has blessed us, particularly with the things that we have. Just by giving God the glory for the things you have and enjoy, you can powerfully witness to the world that he is good, that he is the Lord and he's the provider, and that he is worthy of their praise too. May we be a people who more and more readily speak of God's blessing to us so that God's name may be praised among the ends of the earth. And then another implication of these verses is that God is a God of greater mercy than we imagine. Think of the implied argument here. The psalmist declares that the end of the earth has yielded, or the, the, the earth itself has yielded its increase. And he draws this conclusion from that sort of observational fact. God has blessed us. Then he thinks, if God has blessed us so that so richly in this way, will he not great, give a greater harvest in the field of, of men and women? In other words, if God's blessing is so great in nature, how will he be any less gracious in the field of human hearts? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. God will be no less generous in bringing his praise from out, out from among all the nations than he is in sustaining the nations with earthly provisions. So merciful in nature, how much more merciful in the field of human hearts? And then there's another implication of these verses too. And that's just that in the restoration of, the, of nature to its intended purpose, to bringing forth yield from the earth. Despite the fracture uh, and brokenness brought about by our sin and rebellion and the curse that God has laid upon the earth because of that, so the psalmist expects that God will accomplish a similar restoration of God's people to their original purpose as people who praise him in unity and in peace and in reliance on him. So we see an already not yet aspect to this prayer. Already God has blessed us. Already we can rejoice and sing for joy in his guidance of us. Already we can point to God's good provision of us, or for us, and give praise to his name. And yet we still wait and diligently seek and pray for the day when the earth and humanity is fully restored to its intended unity and perfection under God. But this is what we are hoping for. This is the kind of kingdom that Jesus reigns over. So another good question to ponder for us this Lord's Day is, in what ways has God blessed you? with the material things of life? And what effect does this have on the way you tell your story? We were reflecting on this last week. Remember when we thought about the ways in which we tell our story in recognition of the fact that God has reached down 
and saved us from the depths of our sin because of his infinite mercy and the way that that shapes or ought to shape the way we think about our own lives and then how we verbally express that to others. And again, not in the way that you, I mean, it might be good for this, if this is kind of your, the way you're wired in your personality, um, you might think, all right, I'll write down my testimony so I can more articulately give it. But I'm thinking even of just in the sort of day-to-day, off-the-hand comments that we oftentimes give, just almost without thinking. Um, how blessed I've been by, you know, people who it just seemingly, without thinking of it, will say, oh, how grateful I am to the Lord for this thing that I have. How grateful I am that the Lord led me out of this particular way of life that would have been so destructive to me, almost, you know, without thought. And we do that too, or we ought to. So how does, what effect does a, a deeper recognition of the way in which God has blessed us in the material things of life shape the way we tell our story and think about our lives and the direction that they've taken? John Calvin moves in this direction. He helps us to think about this in a deeper way when he says this, we are drawn to seek God when we are told that our safety is treasured up in him. And we are confirmed in this when he declares that he takes a deep interest in our welfare. We need his gracious promise that he is a propitious father, since there is no other way in which we can approach him. So, mercy and truth are closely linked in the Psalms. It would be useless to know that God is true if he did not lovingly draw us to himself. And that's true. God's lovingly drawing us to ourselves is one of the means in which we know that God is true for us and that he's worth our worship and, and praise and utter reliance upon him. And, in through, and then through that, uh, we can almost add to Calvin's uh, phrase. I know that's a bit, we quote Calvin a lot around here. It's probably because we're good Presbyterians, but we can almost add to, to Calvin's phrase by saying uh, that it would be useless to know that God is true unless he lovingly drew us to himself. And then in the recognition of that, in the blessing of that, we get to lovingly draw, help the world to be lovingly drawn uh, through us to, to him. And, and what a great promise that is. What a great privilege that is to be folded into the good work that God is doing the more we recognize that he has blessed us with everything that we have and that we rely upon him not as people who must do a lot of work to get him on our side, not as people who live in sort of a, uh, a mechanistic relationship where you put in A, B, and C, you do uh, just enough praying, just enough Bible reading, you memorize just enough good verses, and then God will bless you with whatever it is that you're hoping for. No, God lifts up the light of his face upon us, upon us and blesses us because of his infinite mercy. And then as a result of that, the more we recognize this fact and, and lean into it, the more we're able to expand the kingdom as we talk about this with our neighbors, as we, as we testify that he is a good father, that he is worth worshiping because he loves his people. So what does Psalm 67 teaches us? teach us? Well, at least two things. It teaches us that God blesses us so that we may be a blessing to the nations. And it teaches us that we will help the family of God to grow as we praise God for his guidance, justice, and provision. And so again, I would encourage you this Lord's Day, especially as we've been thinking about the mission of God in the Psalms and seeing how God is drawing us into that purpose and seeing the kind of kingdom that he is bringing to bear in our lives and in the world, that we would recognize that he has blessed us with these things, again, not as an end in itself, not as just a means for our own private pleasure, but as a means by which we can testify to the world that he is a good father, that he loves us, that he loves the world, that he's drawing all people from all tribes and tongues and languages to worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Lord, what a great promise and prayer that that is, that we would be part of the work that you are doing to draw the nations to yourself from every tribe and tongue and language, tribes that we don't even know exist probably at this very moment, who are walking in 
darkness and trying to find satisfaction in life in false and empty shadows. Lord, you are working in and through us to expand your kingdom, and sometimes it's hard for us to see that. But Lord, help us to recognize that you are blessing us with these blessings so that we might be a blessing to the world. That you have always been working this, uh, this way of salvation from Genesis even to Revelation and until Jesus will come again. Lord, thank you for drawing us into this work, for allowing us to partake of the blessings of salvation and the blessings of being a part of the work that you are doing. Lord, you who rule over the nations, you who uh, hold the galaxies in the palm of your hand, who are so infinitely great and bigger than we can imagine, yet you invite us into this work that you are doing, the, the sacred work of, of drawing souls to yourself. Lord, help us to do it with faithfulness. We are in ourselves unfit for the work. We are in ourselves uh, unready for it. But yet, the more we depend upon uh, your infinite mercy, the more we depend upon you for the very means we need to, to witness well to the world, the more in which the world will see that you are great. and You care for your people and you provide for them. Lord, just as you told your people that in quietness and rest will be their strength, so help us in quietness and rest in you to be strengthened for the task that you've given us, to be mindful that you are working in the world, not um, just for our private pleasure, not just to have blessings uh, extend to us and then go no, fur no further, but to extend to the world so that you would be praised among every tribe and tongue and language. So that, may that be our purpose in prayer too. In Jesus' name, amen.